0: Broadcasting from the Business Radio X studio in Alpharetta, it's time for Profit Sense with Bill McDermott.
1: Good morning. Welcome to Profit Sense. This podcast dives into the stories behind some of Atlanta's successful businesses and business owners and the professionals that advise them. We help local business leaders get the word out about the important work they're doing to serve their market, their community, and their profession. I'm your host, Bill McDermott, and this show is presented by The Profitability Coach. When business owners want to increase their profitability, they don't have the expertise often to know where to start or what to do. I leverage my knowledge and relationships from 32 years as a banker to identify the hurdles getting in the way and create a plan to deliver profitability they never thought possible. We have two great guests on the show today, and I want to say welcome to both of them. Ryan Leo with Big Fish Technology. Ryan, welcome to ProfitSense. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. And I also want to introduce Scott Siegel. Scott is with Beacon Sales Advisor. Scott, welcome to ProfitSense.
2: Thank you. It's great
1: to be here. Ryan, I want to start with you. So, a lot of times businesses choose an MSP but they often don't know why they choose an MSP. And by the way, what the heck is an MSP? Can you can you elaborate on that? Yes, the war
0: of the acronyms, right? <clears throat> so MSP stands for managed service provider and that's uh, it's it's actually quite a generic a very general and generic term because that could be practically for anything but it's kind of been the new, the new idea of, of IT support. Uh, it's uh, something that's been transformed over the years, and where you, you used to have outsourced IT, your your tech guys would be just hanging out in the office and billing time and material. And the MSP came around. <clears throat> I want to say it was uh, two thousand seven was was when it really started to hit the horizon. Two thousand six, two thousand seven, and uh, it really was the idea. To uh, to have it as a service instead of as an hourly, um, and and an hourly service, it went it went to more of a, more of a subscription based uh, flat fee type of an approach, but you you get more with that subscription approach, and uh, and and so that that's in general very high level what MSP managed service provider is as it relates to the IT industry.
1: And is there a point in time where a business kind of graduates from maybe a DIY to actually choosing uh, an MSP? Um, there there is, and it, it really it really
0: depends on where the, where the business is. You know a lot of businesses, um, they either have had IT support in the past and maybe they had it in the traditional sense or yes, they've been very do-it-yourself, very, there's your other acronym, MSP, DIY, they've been very DIY. And, you know, usually when the uh, when the CFO finds himself running around and spending all of his time fixing everyone's <laughs> IT problems, then that's Understood. when there's like this paradigm shift is, oh my gosh, I need to do my job. Uh, and, and that's when the decision comes up. How do we get a resource that takes care of these daily it problems. And then even how do we have a resource that carries us forward in our technology roadmap? You know, where, where do we go from here as it relates to it? Cause you know, this stuff changes really, really fast. And, um, and so that's when they start looking at, okay, well, I could hire my own people, right. Employees. Sure. Or I could outsource. And that's when the comparison really, really starts to happen. Um, between the two, um, I think that uh, there's there's also the case where you've got a company that's been using managed service provider for a number of years, and they realize it's just not cutting it. Uh, and I'll tell you that probably seventy percent of all of our of our new accounts come on board because they have an existing IT and they're wanting to make a change.
1: Well, that makes sense, and. Uh... And so I'm going to shift topics. We're, we're talking this morning with Ryan Leo with Big Fish Technology. Ryan's company uh, helps business owners understand how business works, uh, which is just as important as, as the technical skill. So, Ryan, I know you love deep sea fishing. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm wondering, can you tell us a fishing story uh, from personal experience and, and I will say there is no
0: correlation. Um, sometimes people say, oh, wow, you guys, do you guys do stuff with fishing? And, and I'll start, a, I'll spin a story about, yeah, some sort of tackle or some sort of new lure that we're creating. And then I have to break it down and say, no, it has nothing to do with fishing. Uh, <laughs> because, because I do love to fish. Um, I love deep sea fishing. And I, I, I get out into the Gulf at least once a year with my family. And my girls, um, I have I have uh, three uh, wife and three daughters, and so um, uh, it's interesting to see which of them uh, gravitate towards fishing. I've got you know one my my uh, soon to be fourteen year old loves to fish, and I took her out on the first deep sea fishing. And you know deep sea fishing, um, traditionally you you get in a boat about five o'clock in the morning and you head off into the sunrise, yep. um, fifty miles offshore, uh, pulling you know out out in the Gulf. You know we're usually fishing for red snapper trigger fish um some mingos vermilion snapper and um and and i i got the opportunity to do a 36 hour tour once because normally a deep sea fishing tour you charter a a boat uh crew of about 15 16 guys and girls and you go out for eight hours i had to do a 36 hour where you leave in the morning you fish wow. all day wow you fish all night and then you fish again in the morning and you just, you just, you, you know, you get some little bit of shut eye while you're on the boat. But what I thought was really cool is how the dynamic of fishing changed between the daylight hours and the moonlight hours. And and the types of fish, we were, we were catching um, kingfish at night and it was, you know, the, the different fish, they, They, uh, they reel in differently. Red snapper, you're usually pulling them off the bottom. It's kind of just a lift and reel and lift and reel. Whereas at night, when those, when the kingfish are, uh, are charging and kind of the night hunters, if you will, they're all over the place and it's just kind of a walk around the boat and reel them in. And and you can only really only have one line at a time, but it's a, it's, it's a whole lot of fun, a whole lot of, a whole lot of adventure and deep sea fishing is just one piece of adventure that I like to introduce my family to. But,
1: yeah, that, yeah. Is, uh, that is a great story. And uh, wow, 36 hours, that's a, that's a fishing marathon. Yes, yes, it is. It's a, it's a whole lot of fun. So back to, uh, back to IT, hmm. um, can you talk a little bit about what is security awareness in IT? Uh, and if I'm a business owner, should I have a security awareness program? So yeah, and that this is it's
0: kind of an interesting concept. You know, we um, we think about antivirus, we think about backups, and all that, and all that sort of stuff. And and you know, it's it's uh, it's really it's like it's like we're gearing up. It's like we're putting on multiple layers of armor to defend ourselves from these malicious attacks, right? And so there, there's a concept of you know, well we can put a whole lot of armor on, but you know, we're arrows are still flying at us, and we're still getting hit by arrows. Okay, the armor's holding up. Maybe it's wearing down in one place. But the idea of security awareness is the education of really the main source that problems happen, and that's of the users of a company. If they know what to look out for, sure. then what we're effectively doing is as we educate our people, as we educate our users, and we, we test them, <clears throat> then instead of putting on more armor, what we're doing is we're shrinking our target. We're making a harder target to hit for the for the malicious um, forces that are out there to to either try to get our information or or find a find a chink in that armor. If if we can avoid even getting hit altogether, then that that probably is the is the greatest defense is user awareness. And so we we put uh, um, we we partner up with some great vendors and we put together programs that will not only educate our users, but then test them. We'll fish them, you know, it's it's not like, and and it won't be the type of phishing where you'll actually get ransomware or something on your computer, but it will be a, okay. uh, You know, if there's a CEO or a COO that says, I really want to shore up our defenses, but uh, I don't know how, well, then I'm going to come in. I'm going to educate your people. I'm going to test them. And if they fail one of my tests, if they fail a phishing email that I send them, or I have a couple other ways that I'll that I'll try to extract information, social media, smishing, SMS uh, phishing. Um, that if they fail, then that actually gives them a little bit more education that they may need to go through. And, and it kind of keeps everybody on their toes. So that now that they're on their toes because of an internal program, then it naturally puts them on their toes for the real thing. Sure. And our and our fishing programs are are very good at simulating the real thing. And so not only does it help them in business, but it's also going to help them in their personal life. You know what, what's happening around the house, educating their own family, and it uh, that's it's the whole idea of creating a smaller target for uh, for a malicious source to hit.
1: Yeah, yeah, what a uh 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 that's very enlightening to me. So thanks for sharing that. So my monitor setup, so I have two monitors. Um I might be putting, you know, an Excel spreadsheet on one and data on another, and I'm uh um, uh, you know, I just love my setup. Uh but I've also seen some guys use three monitors. Uh, I've also seen some people that use four monitors. So, you know, two monitors, three monitors, four monitors, what's, you know, what's your take on all of that?
0: Uh, so monitors and, you know, our, our displays, that's our real state when we're, when we're operating. Um, and it's, it's, it's pretty interesting. I've seen, I've seen, you know, just a single, single, you know, even just operating on a laptop. I've, um, I've helped, uh help some of our clients build stations that have eight monitors on them. And it's like mission control. Um, the idea of having more monitors, um, it's kind of like once you went to that second monitor, it's like, I don't know how I can go back. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm at two monitors now. How could I ever, how did I ever do it with one? And then the third monitor just kind of gives you that, that extra, that, actually I use my third monitor in a, in a portrait mode. Cause I'll review a lot of contracts that are kind of in, in legal mode. Sure. And so uh, most monitors, you can, you know, we, we look at them landscape, but you can tilt them up so that they're in portrait mode and your computer will actually support them that way. Hmm. And so if you're one of those, if you're in an industry that needs to do document review and you don't want to try to have to snap them to one side of a landscape and that which actually makes them smaller, you can have a nice full view of a document if you need to review that, highlight it, you know, make edits, whatever you need to, if, if you have that third monitor or even fourth monitor as your dedicated monitor to do document review. And so it's it's really, you know, how do we use our peripheral devices so that they don't become a distraction? They don't become a become a hindrance, because I will say too much real estate can be a distraction, particularly if. It really, if you're only using two and you put a third one over here and you never use it, we should probably just take that you know free up that desk space and use it for something else. But the idea of being able to have a monitor that's already set up for something like a document review um, that I've
1: seen that have success in a lot of different environments. You know, you taught me something new today. I had no idea that you could take a monitor. And, and turn it into portrait mode. So, so that's, a, that's a great takeaway for me. Uh, if technology is understood, set up properly, and documented well, it can make life in and business and, and even at home easier, more efficient, and even relaxing. Uh, this is a quote coming from Ryan Leo, who's a partner in Big Fish Technology. And Ryan, I want to switch over to the IT refresh rule. Mm-hmm. What is the IT refresh rule? and how does it apply to business owners?
0: So yeah, the the refresh rate. So business equipment typically gets a lot more wear and tear than consumer grade equipment. Now you can go to Best Buy and go to Micro Center, you can go to Walmart, you can buy laptops, you can buy equipment from there. And the idea there is when you're buying that equipment, consumer grade equipment, If you look at the warranty on it, it comes with a one-year warranty, right? Um, The reason that the manufacturer puts a one-year warranty on that is because they expect it to last reliably under strain for one year. When you buy a commercial grade, when you buy commercial grade equipment, let's just say a laptop or a desktop, if if it's true commercial grade equipment, it is going to come from the manufacturer with a three-year warranty because it expects to under 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 strain to last about 3 years and it's also the manufacturers expecting it to be used in a business environment that's why it's commercial grade and so naturally it's kind of this this industry wide understanding of you know once you push a computer that is a commercial grade computer past that 3 year mark then your risk curve for failure starts to increase dramatically the further you get past that 3 year mark so there's this industry-wide refresh rate known as, that's three years for commercial-grade equipment. Um, you know, some businesses getting off the ground uh, in order to save some money, and sometimes it's just choices out of just not knowing some 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 ignorance. There is just right. not uh, uh, they'll they'll go out and they'll buy uh, consumer-grade equipment for business use, and they're wondering why in year two, two and a half, all of their stuff is just not working. It's no longer efficient. I, you know, I have 10 Chrome. All I have is is a Chrome window up with 10 tabs open. Why is, why is it saying that my memory is low and uh, they just, they are not built for that sort of string for that consistency and for that duration. And that's, that's why for the end user, so user-based computing, I'm not talking about servers. I'm not talking about network switches, uh, those can go longer than that, but it's really, it's the ones that are going to be at the endpoints, the ones that that are users of a business have on their day-to-day, that it's a three-year refresh rate for business, for commercial grade.
1: Great. Good to know. Um, I've got one more question for you, uh, and I think this might be a tagline of the company, but uh, we aren't the big fish, you are. So uh, talk a little bit about that. Sure.
0: Um, so the the idea
1: here is
0: uh, is yeah you know, well people are always saying oh you know what I think we might be too small for you guys I I, I hear yeah. that a lot um, you know we, when we market we are looking we are marketing towards twenty user companies or more and so when there's a a five person bookkeeping company that asks well can, can you support us? Or we, I I think we may just be too small for you guys, but we, we do not turn our nose up because the the idea here is that we, we aren't the hero in this story. Um, This is, it it is, it is our clients that are the hero. We're just, we're just here on the side. We're the support, right? We're the sidekick, if you will. And so uh, we aren't the big fish. Um, our clients are the big fish. And so, you know, it's, 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 interesting too, because when we created the branding for big fish technology, we had no idea what we were doing. We just wanted something that sounded cool and had, had some cool colors on it and maybe had a cool, cool logo. Um, and as I realized as, 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 as we, as we matured, I guess, if you will, um, I realized that it, that this really is what it is. The big fish technology it's technology for the big fish and whether you're a one person company a 20 person company a 500 person company we aren't the heroes you are we're we're just here to support the big fish and so it's uh that that really is what the meaning behind we aren't the big fish you are
1: yeah it's been great spending time with this morning, my big takeaways are really understanding what a managed service provider is and does, um, the importance of having security awareness, uh, not only in, at business, but also at home. Uh, and uh, using that uh, monitor in portrait mode, uh, understanding IT refresh. And uh, yeah, I love the uh, I love the ending. Uh, you're uh, your clients are the hero, uh, but you're the sidekick or, or the guide, and you you navigate those waters of IT. So if we have listeners out there that want to get in touch with you and Big Fish Technology, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, the, the best way is, is to head on over to our, our website, uh, bigfishtechnology.com,
0: and um, you'll have the ability to click on a contact us there and just reach out and say, hey, heard you guys. Uh, Hang out with Bill on Radio X, and uh, would like to know more, or or hey, I've, I've got an idea of someone you could meet. I, I, any sort of messaging can go in there, and uh, and that, that'll come straight to me. Um, and I guess it's also important important to point out it is Big Fish Technology, not Big Fish Technologies. We didn't we didn't say the technologies on this podcast, but uh, I will say that there's often some confusion there. Uh, it's it's a uh, technology with a Y. So uh, that's, uh, uh, that's probably good to point out.
1: <laughs> great. Ryan, it's been great having you on ProfitSense. Thank you so much for uh, enlightening us on IT, IT technology and security awareness. Awesome. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Uh, we're now going to turn our time to Scott Siegel uh, with Beacon Sales Advisors. Uh, Scott and I met through a uh, uh, an association and kind of immediately hit it off. We're, we're both lifelong learners and, and love to read. So, Scott, delighted to uh, spend time with you this morning.
2: Same here, Bill. Thank you for having me.
1: And I really want to dive into the... Launching Beacon Sales Advisors, you know, Simon Sinek says know your why. So share with uh, share with me and our audience a little bit. Why did you start Beacon Sales Advisors?
2: You know, when I look back on my career, I've been very lucky. I've got to work for big companies and I often make fun of myself. I think I've been to every training class i ever invented. So you learn going through that, but I've also had the opportunity to work for smaller entrepreneurial companies. And what's important to me now is to be part of the community, to give back and to help others. I have four great kids. Three of my four kids were born in three different states. I moved them seven times and I was traveling 50% of the time. So my real why, and my kids will hear this, I've never told them, is to be a good role model, is to let them know that you can meet amazing people who do amazing things and that you can give back. That's really why I do what I do.
1: Wow. What a great story. And um, in terms of understanding for our listening audience, um, as far as what you do and uh, could you talk a little bit about when would a company need someone like you on their team?
2: Yeah. Typically, a a company will need someone like myself or someone on my team when they have a pain point. Either they're trying to drive sales, they're trying to drive profitability. And what we often hear is, I just lost my biggest customer. I don't know what to do. I've seen that happen. I've seen a client lose one customer that was 50%. Well, when that happens, There's a ripple effect in their organization. Those people are like family, and they have to make really tough decisions. Or I want to scale my company. I'm not sure what to do. Or the owner is working 80 hours a week because they're trying to do everything. They're leading sales, they're leading operations, they're head of strategy, they're head of finance. They don't have the time. Or if they just promoted their best salesperson, bring me into the office and say, "Hey, Bill, we just promoted you. Go get them." Without that training, it's really hard for that person who just got promoted to be a successful manager. So, what really what we do is we come in, and we work side by side with them. We don't really act as consultants. We actually sit in the seat. And it really all comes down to two things the right people and the right process. You know, and as I reflect a little bit,
1: who is not driving sales in this marketplace right now? uh, It would seem everybody. The other thing I've seen in business owners is you're right uh, that business owners trying to be all things to all people, not only accountable for sales but also accountable for operations, accountable for finance. Uh, I even have one client uh, who doesn't really have anyone accountable for sales uh, in their in their organization. Um, and so when you ask them the question, gosh, what's causing sales to go up? Uh, A lot of times you get kind of a deer in the headlights look, well, you know, uh, I'm not really sure. So I'm guessing that, that maybe helping people drive sales might be a crowded space in the marketplace and people buy differences. They don't buy similarities. So what makes you different?
2: Well, what makes me different is a couple of things. One is I have experience leading sales teams for the last 30 years. Wow. They've also led smaller sales teams. So as you're coaching people in leading teams, it's something that you learn over decades. And as I mentioned, I just don't give advice. I sit in the seat. And what I mean by that is we build out compensation programs. We help them build out a CRM or a customer relationship management system to everything Bill you just talked about that allows them to stay focused. We help them build out a sales meeting. I mean, how many times have we all been in our career where you go to a meeting and there's no agenda? And then you leave the meeting and you go, well, let's have another meeting to have another meeting. Because when you're a small company, it's all about being efficient and effective. That's where the process comes in. But what happens sometimes is without a plan, without a roadmap, things become more complex. Simple and focused are two of my favorite words.
1: Yeah, I love that. And I'm, I'm wondering if there's maybe a story that comes to mind, maybe of a uh, client you've worked with in the past um, couple of months, six months, maybe a year, uh, that was really floundering. And a little bit about how you helped them not only in their sales process, but maybe even in their sales strategy and tactics.
2: Yeah, and I'm gonna take that one step further. Uh, One of your prior guests, the last six months, talked about not only helping them with their business, but sometimes we get to help them personally. So I'm gonna tell you the story of a business owner named Dan, a $10,000 check, and a parent teacher conference. So I got a call. Someone, a referral partner, wanted me to go talk to Dan. Dan had a manufacturing company, and he believed he could scale this company. So I went and I met with Dan. I said, Dan, how are things going? He said, Scott, I have a big idea. He said, but I hired all these salespeople. I don't really know what they do. I'm not sure they know what they do. And I said, well, do you have... Key performance indicators, do you have a quota? How are you paying them? He goes, you know, I'm not really sure. Then he looked at me and he said, Scott, have you ever been to a parent-teacher conference? I said, Dan, I have four kids. I think I've been like to 100. <laughs> right? You know, you know how they work. He said, my daughter, Lucy, who's 10 years old, we walked in to see her teacher with my wife. and My eyes looking at me like, I hope you didn't do anything. And her teacher wasn't smiling, and he's going, oh, my, I think something's wrong. They sit down with Lucy's teacher. Lucy's project was this simple. If you can give your parents one gift, what would that gift be? Lucy wrote a check to her dad for $10,000. She said, if my dad was home for dinner every night, I would give him $10,000. Wow. So I said, Dean how was the car ride home? He goes, that's off limits. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> he said, I need your help. I said, great. So what I do to help Dan is I go in and I do a discovery session. The first month is really understanding his strategy, his team. Then we go in and we prioritize what the top priorities are. So one of the things I found was that he didn't have clear territories for his house people. He know that he knew that he needed to focus on new business development. And guess what he didn't do? Focus on new business development. I hear that all the time. And he needed to figure out, do I need to hire someone? What is the right person to do? So I worked with Dan and his team over three months. And over that three months, we were able to go in and put in a strategy. We were able to go in and identify what key markets, industries, CIOs, CFOs, CEOs that he wanted to go target. We went in and we created territories for his sales teams. We built quotas. We did weekly one-to-ones. We did weekly sales meetings with agendas. And within that year, we were able to increase this business by 50%. We hired a new salesperson, and we brought in a new customer. But more importantly, this is why I love what I do. He said, Scott, I got a call from Lucy's teacher. I'm like, oh, I'm not sure how this is going to go. He goes, Lucy wrote up the check. Because now I could be home for dinner every night. To me, that's the magic in what we do to help our clients. Wow, that's
1: such a great story. We're talking this morning with Scott Siegel, Beacon Sales Advisor. Scott's the founder of Beacon Sales and co-founder of Momentum CPG. He's an outsourced fractional chief revenue officer who focuses on helping small and mid-sized companies optimize their sales strategy, process, and execution. And Scott, I want to dive in a little bit. Uh, to the services that you provide your clients? You've kind of what services you provide for your clients?
2: Yeah. So it really, the way that, that we think about it, um, it really needs to be tailored to that client-specific need. So what we don't have is what I would call an off-the-shelf program, right? It really is what their specific needs are. So we focus on three key areas, strategy, Uh, process, and structure. So that could be everything from identifying what key markets they want to go to. How are they going to attack those key markets? The, The process piece really is focused on, and I've said it a couple of times because it is so important, it really is the little things that matter. Effective meetings, annual performance reviews, I think the number is 80% of small business owners don't do annual performance reviews. Yeah. If you don't do an annual performance review, how can you measure what is good or bad performance? Right? What we find is that business owners sometimes get frustrated because their sales team isn't doing what they should. Well, there's a reason. There were no expectations set. Yeah. We go through and we build quotas. Every small business should have a CRM system, right? It's a lot to choose out there. Pick the one that works for you. But what a good CRM system will allow you to do is create visibility in the organization. I know this might be hard to believe, right? But there are silos in organizations sometimes. Sales guys over forecast. They don't know what they're doing. A really good CRM where everyone has visibility to the forecast and what's in the pipeline. Bill, you know with your customers how important that is from a P&L and from a cash flow standpoint. Absolutely. You know how, forecast, how do you know what to buy? How do you know where to invest? So those are a couple of the areas, but really it is tailored and custom to what that specific business owner needs.
1: Yeah, and it's so refreshing to hear that you tailor it rather than offer something that's, that it's off the shelf so i know we've already heard one really good success story but i know you have one more uh in you so can you share one more success story with us
2: yeah (laughs) so it was you know with with another a client i'd worked with who um hired the wrong person so i needed to go in and hire the whole sales team the challenge is with a lot of smaller companies, if you don't take the time to go in and build out a really good job description, a really good compensation plan that incentivizes the right behavior with quotas. I've seen it time after time, if you hire the wrong person, it will take you 18 months to two years to recover from that. Yep. So there was one organization where the sales leader was leaving the organization. So I had to go in and build job descriptions, build the onboarding. The other thing a lot of companies miss, they don't properly onboard new employees. Think if you're a new employee, you show up on day one and you're going, okay, where's my desk? Where's my computer? Who do I go talk to? How do you feel? We put together a really detailed 30, 60, 90 day program. Then we go through interviewing and there's an art and science to interviewing. So we have specific questions that we carve out for everyone who's interviewing because we look for different things, sales, culture fit, um, and any other thing that's important to that customer. So what I did for that specific company is we went in and we we, we rehired their entire sales organization and they serve a 25% increase But more importantly, everyone in the organization who had that sales thing about what salespeople are, if you bring in the right people, that went away. So that's just another example of something that we do as a success.
1: Yeah, that's a a great story. So um, I am almost positive that there is a business owner out there who is not delegating. Uh, therefore, is not getting the uh, execution out of his sales people. He or she uh, not getting the execution out of the sales people that that they'd like. Uh, they're not communicating expectations. Uh, they don't have a good process or a good strategy. So, how does that business owner uh, that might be listening in today get in touch with you?
2: You know, it's very simple. They can just send me. They can send me an email to Scott at BeaconSalesAdvisors.com. And the one last thing, Bill, that I challenge or encourage all business owners or even sales reps is what I call the the four Cs. You want to be clear, concise, and compelling. If you do that, you get the clarity. And that's that's how you scale a company. It's not about doing more. It's about getting the simple and getting the simple is really hard, but be clear, concise, and compelling, and you get the clarity, everything you just talked about.
1: Wow. What a great, what a great formula. Uh, Scott Siegel, Beacon Sales Advisors. Thanks so much for coming on Profit Sense and sharing your experience and your expertise.
2: Bill, thank you. It's always a pleasure and thank you for having me.
1: So I want to take our, our conversation, uh, and, um, uh, Talk a little bit about. I have several clients right now that are buying businesses and actually looking for financing to do those. And so, what I want to talk about is what are the three things that you can do uh, to absolutely nail your bank presentation? You know, approaching a bank for a loan often begins to stir up anxiety and confusion. With the owner having no clue where to start. Or on the flip side, an owner may think the process is relatively simple and not realize how much prep work needs to go into a loan request. Business owners are often entrepreneurs and by nature are risk takers. Bankers are actually the opposite. When they make a loan, they have to be 100% right that it was a smart loan 99% of the time. So they tend to be risk adverse. When applying for a loan, it's important to keep these three things in mind. First, Have a clear request. You need to know exactly how much money you believe you'll need and be able to explain what it will be used for and how it will be paid back. Second thing is have a compelling case. Uh, Know the five C's, character, collateral, cash flow, credit, and conditions. And then the third thing is really to have command of your financials. It's important to understand the financial aspect of your business. What your financials are telling you, and be prepared to address any weaknesses. Growth is always an exciting time in a company. Keep these tips in mind so you're prepared before you make your loan request to your bank. If you want to keep up with the latest in pro business news, follow us on social media for the latest stories. If you want to listen to future Pot- Profit Sense podcasts, you can find us on ProfitsenseRadio.com. This is Profit Sense with Bill McDermott signing off.